Listen, take your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 2. We're going to start in John chapter 8, but we're going to spend most of our time as we talk about light in the darkness. And uh, I I was struggling today, and uh, they just brought two verses. We sang this, light in the darkness, and uh, we're going to talk about the shepherds. And the first thing was the first Noel, the shepherds did hear, and so that's great. Luke chapter, or John chapter 8, verse 12 says, Jesus spoke to the people one more time and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. I am the light of the world. A great study to do sometime is just to start at the beginning of the Bible and watch the development of the theme of light versus darkness throughout the entire scripture. To see that before God spoke to the earth, it was formless, it was empty, and it was covered in darkness. But God speaks and he brings shape and he fills the empty void and he says, let there be light. And there's a greater light that rules the day and a lesser light that rules the night. Or you get into Exodus and you read of the 10 curses, the 10 plagues that Moses brings to to the Egyptian uh, nation in order to win the freedom of the Israelites. And, and we read there, then the Lord said to Moses, lift your hand toward heaven and the land of Egypt will be covered with a darkness that is so thick, that is so thick that you can feel it. And so Moses lifted up his hand to the sky and the deep darkness covered the entire land of Egypt for three days. And during all that time, the people could not see each other, and no one moved for three days. But there was light as usual where the people of Israel lived. John writes of the light and the darkness in his first letter, and he says, this is the message that we've heard from Jesus, and now declare to you, God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We're not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another and with him. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And when Paul is called to preach the gospel, God says to him, I'm not only sending you to the Jews, but I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they may turn from the darkness they live in and go into the light and from the power of Satan into God's kingdom. Paul would go on to teach us that in this life, We are in a spiritual battle and that we need to understand that for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. There's there's this theme that runs from beginning to end about light and darkness. Light always represents God. And what he's doing in darkness most often represents the works and the presence of the enemy. And 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 it's a fascinating study that makes John 8, 12, this verse that I've just read out loud to you, so much more significant. 
Jesus has made his way into the capital city of Jerusalem and is preaching during the Festival of Tabernacles, which is a a feast that celebrates all that God did for Israel during the time of Moses as he brought them out of Egypt. And the story of of that deliverance is being told graphically, ceremonially, and with great tradition and pride. And and, and the candles of of the candelabra, the golden lampstand, have just been lit just before he speaks. And, and, and it's reminding them that in the days of Moses, the, the children walked through the land. They were led by a cloud by day that protected them from the heat of the sun. And by night, they were overshadowed and led by a pillar of fire that allowed them to live and operate in the darkness without electricity or candles or lighting. And, and God had been everything that they needed him to be. They had lived under the light of God as they walked through. And during this festival, Jesus stands up among a great crowd and he stands up and with boldness and with confidence says to the people, hear this, I am the light of the world. And the statement is more than more powerful than we understand. It's, it's really more than just saying, hey, listen, I want to tell you a bit about myself. It's a declaration of war. It's, it's a declaration that says, at creation, God created light, and at the fall of man, Satan had come. He had attempted to drag all of creation back into the darkness, back into the emptiness, where he feels that he has a right and has authority to steal, to kill, to destroy everything that God has given to creation. And now Jesus is standing up and says, your time is done. The darkness is over. Darkness has no power. Light has come. I'm about to rescue this people from the the kingdom of darkness and transfer them to the kingdom of light. I am the light of the world, he says. Not only does he declare himself to be light and salvation to the world, but he extends an invitation to the people of every tribe, every nation, every language group. And he says, if you follow me, If you make the choice to follow me, you won't have to walk in the fear-filled power and torment of darkness because you will have a light that leads to life and life to its fullest measure. I am the light of the world, he said. Jesus is not just a preacher. He is an excellent orator. But he says that, and then just in, in, in a few moments, he says, I'm the power-filled expression of God here on earth. In, in just a few moments after speaking this verse of powerful declaration, I am the light of the world, he goes over in, verse, in chapter 9, and he touches a man who has been blind since birth, a man who's never seen the light. He touches his eyes, and he sees For the very first time in his life, you will have the light that leads to life. He doesn't just preach it. He acts on it. I've been fascinated by this statement that Jesus makes. I am the light of the world. I've been repeating it over and over again. The other day I was over on the west side of town and I stood at the top of a hill and I said over our city, Jesus is the light of the world for this city. I pray for you and I pray, Jesus, be the light, be the answer for every individual here. 
I, I've been fascinated with this statement. And when we want to emphasize how hard, how desperate, how discouraged we are, we tend to, to lean into this metaphor of darkness. Words like, I am in a really dark place right now. Or, this season seems to be the dark night of the soul for me. Or, I have no idea what's going on. It feels like I'm in the dark. All of those things have been said to me by people that I love, people that are close to me, people in this house. And over all these situations, Jesus says today, says right now, I am the light that has come to your world, to your problem, to your difficulty, to your isolation, to your agony. Go with me as I've asked you to, to Luke chapter 2, to one of the, the greatest pa passages about the gospel. I, I, I'm only sorry that we only read it out loud in, at, at Christmas, but Luke chapter 2, verse 8. It's a story of the shepherds. And, and it really illustrates this being the light of the world. The night when Jesus was born... That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby. Shepherds guarding their sheep. That night, not too far away, were brought to a group of shepherds first. When, when England has a future monarch born, as we've seen a couple of times in the last 30 or so years, when England has a future monarch born, there's a strict protocol that occurs. There's word that is given to the current monarch. There are strict lines of reporting to who, of who gets to know first. And then there's eventually a news release that comes out of Buckingham Palace. And, and then there's a moment when the, the mother and the father and the child come out on the step of the hospital and, and they're viewed for the first time. There's a lot of palaver, a lot of pictures. And then, then we get to hear what the name is and the significance of the name. But here, it's very different. There are shepherds that are staying in the field, guarding their flocks, who are notified first. Let me tell you a little bit about shepherds. Um, they're a colorful lot. The sheep that they are raising here in this chapter are most likely lambs that are being raised to be taken to Passover to be offered as sacrifices. And, and there's a very specific way that sheep have to be raised for that purpose. The, they, the sheep, are to remain in the wilderness from their birth in March until the end of December. And so they're out in the, the country and they're watching over. They're staying out of the main lanes of the city and civilization. As the chief caregivers, shepherds are required to stay with their sheep, and so they miss a lot of the, the, the great celebrations, the great feasts. They're, they're, they're disconnected from the Jewish calendar. Their work necessitates that they're away from the cities at this time, and, and so they're disconnected from much of the religious life of the nation. 
And although they are a necessary cog in the wheel of, of religious life and spiritual worship in Israel at this time, they're looked down on because they're not a part of it. They're not involved. They don't attend. They don't participate in the spiritual life and ritual of the nation. So they're disconnected. Not, not only that, but shepherds have this very cloudy, very murky problem with reputation. They are known generally to be thieves. Or as one commentator that I found said and, and kindly paints the picture, they had difficulty telling the difference between what is mine and what is thine. When, when the shepherds came, you locked everything up. You, you, you moved the assets in the house. You, 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 you hid the daughters away. You, did, you just took care because everything was at risk. And, and not only that, but according to the law of the day, because of their reputation, because of their disconnection from society, because of their colorful reputations, shepherds were not considered reliable witnesses in a court of law. They could not give testimony to anything that they saw. They were just thought, who would believe a shepherd anyways? And so with that background information, let me let the story continue. A group of shepherds staying in a field nearby where the child named Jesus has been born just a little ways away in Bethlehem. It's night. It's dark. And they're maybe sitting around a fire pit listening for sounds of marauding animals or sheep rustlers or whatever the danger might be. And verse 9 says, suddenly, unexpectedly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them. And the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. And they were terrified. I've been reading with new eyes the story of Christmas this year. There are some amazing things that I've read hundreds of times, I'm sure, but have seen for the very first time. We know that the word angel, what we, we have a picture in our mind of what that looks like, what they wear, the, the wings, the halo, the glowing in bright white. We, we think we know what that, that all looks like. But, but I want you to focus here on the function rather than the appearance of an angel. Angel is another word from, for messenger. This is a messenger that has been sent by God with an important message. Sent from God. And the angel has so recently been in the presence of the Lord, so recently been dispatched by the Lord, that there is a radiance of the Lord's glory on, on, the, on the angel. But it's more than just this bright shiningness, there's a sense of God being present. It wasn't the brilliance of the angel. The scripture is specific. It says, it is the radiance of the Lord's glory that floods the area with a radiant light. Allow me to, to remind you of the words of the King James Version that you might be more familiar with and may have memorized for a Christmas play. 
And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. Glory here means that although he could not be seen, although he was not heard, he was not speaking directly. He had sent a messenger and was speaking through the mess- messenger. Although he wasn't seen, there was a tangible sense, a tangible presence of God in that place. God was not seen. He was not heard, but he was present. And everybody in the field knew it. In the Old Testament, glory had a, had a weight, had a heaviness to it. When the glory, when the presence of God was in a place, the atmosphere shifted. At the dedication of the, of the temple, the glory, the weight, the heaviness of God's presence came. And, and the, the ministers, the, the priests in the place were unable to stand up because of the weight of it. They fell on their face. If there's noise, when the, when the weight of the presence of God comes, there tends to be a holy hush. The focus moved from what had been going on to what God was about to say, what God was about to do. There's this weightiness. God's glory brings supernatural atmospheric shift. And the shepherds felt that shift, became intensely aware of the presence, the weighty presence of God. And their reaction was worth knowing, noting. They, the shepherds, they were terrified. The original language says that they, they feared a great fear. They They had known fear, but they had never known a fear this big, this heavy, this overwhelming, this terrifying. Not startled by the unexpected, oh, I didn't see you there, but terrified by the entire experience. These are men who were rough, raw, uncultured, uncouth, all of a sudden are brought out of the darkness of their night into a supernatural encounter with the living God. And the optics were interesting enough. A messenger who was accompanied by the radiance of the Lord's glory, but conscious to the very depths of their being that God himself was present. And and the only thing that they could think is that Oh no, God who knows everything, knows all of my sins, is about to come and he's about to make those sins known. He's about to, I'm about to be found guilty. I'm about to be punished to the full extent of God's law, which must for them mean I'm about to die. Imagine the presence of God coming to you in such a real way that you're aware of every aspect of who he is and thinking, oh no, why has he, why has he shown up here for me? He's going to reveal everything that's wrong with me. And that, that's what the shepherds are feeling. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to everybody. 
The, the, the angel is very aware of the shepherds fearing and, and, and the great fear that they have. And, and he speaks it immediately and wants to put them at ease. There, there is no reason to be afraid. There is no judgment in this visit. This is not a condemning moment in your life. I have come with good news. I have good news that is attached to, submerged, covered, running out all over with great joy. And the news is for you, and it's for your children, and for your children's children. And it goes on and on and on to all people everywhere for all time. What is good for shepherds is good for you. It's good for me. I remind you that an encounter with God in this day, no matter who you are, no matter what you have done, no matter where you've been, no matter how fearful you are of encountering God, it's good for you. At, at 3.18 this morning, I felt that I was to say to someone in this room or someone online, I'm not sure who, but hear me. Let me be a messenger of God to you and to your situation. You don't have to avoid God. You, you, you don't have to be afraid of him. He loves you and has been chasing you, not with a rod of correction or punishment, but with a zealous, overwhelming, overwhelming joy-filled, life-changing love. You don't need to be afraid. You do not have to be afraid. He's pursuing you with good news that's full of joy. You need to hear that. In, in the season that is in front of us, I want to reclaim, I want to re reestablish this aspect of our message. We are a people of good news. I'm so tired of the message being mixed in with other, other messages. I need you to know the gospel is not political. It's, it's not partisan. It's not, it's not left or right, liberal or conservative, hated or love. It, or it's not divided on racial or economic lines. It's, it stands alone. It's good news to lost people, people who are locked in all sorts of darknesses, people who are living in all sorts of regret and addiction and affliction without hope. It's a good news story. Jesus came not to condemn the world, but through him, the world might be saved. It's good news. We're reclaiming that. The gospel, as I heard Bill Johnson say recently, is a message that carries solutions. Don't you love that? We don't stand on the street corner and shout demeaning things to people. We serve. We love. We have hope. If you're dying, the gospel carries life. If you're blind, there's sight. If you've fallen, rescue is on the way. It transforms people. It transforms situations. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I, I was enjoying the worship this morning, and I was just going around this room in my own mind's eye and remembering some of the great stories of transformation that are here today. There are people that are that were on my prayer list for rescue and recovery, and now you serve in this house, and, and, and you carry the message of God on your life, and that's good news. That's news that is soaked and overflowing with the power and presence of God, and I'm so grateful for it. 
I said that I'd get to this part this morning, but my prayer list has grown so very much this week. Evelyn Garcia, having been ill for over the course of the last month, is in hospital again, and they're not sure what's going on, but they're testing her. Members of the Mabona family, two members of the Mabona family are on their way to Ghana today to, because grandma is very sick. Laura Duran's sister is in cancer battle for her life. Thomas John had a stroke this week. That's Jocelyn Giesbrecht's father, and he's in the hospital, and we're, we're asked to pray. Karen Acuna's brother is very sick and near to death. The son of a close friend is in a terrible difficulty. Rudy Ochoa has been in a month-long struggle with his family with illness. And, and that story is repeated over and over again in the Ruiz family and, and other situations. A nephew of mine who struggles with addiction and, and uh, difficulty in that way has fallen yet again. And Loretta is sitting in a senior's home worried because her home is not not yet been sold and what will happen if it doesn't and and a son of a faithful woman is locked up in jail today and Victor has lost his eyesight and if I just concentrate on the list if I lived in the list I would be extremely discouraged and overwhelmed and living in darkness all the time but I live in a message that has solutions I live in the message that Jesus is the answer. He is the healer. Not, I hope he is. He is the healer. He is the deliverer. He is faithful. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I ask, think, or even dare to imagine. I have good news that is covered and overflowing with great joy. I was reminded in prayer meeting on Tuesday that the longer we wait, the closer the answer is. The longer we wait, the closer the answer is. The message continues. Verse 11. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. Israel was well aware of the promise of Messiah. It had been a lifelong message for them. It was a, a hope in every struggle. It was the principle that was founded in their history. Just as we're prisoners in Egypt, they said, and God sent a deliverer in the person of Moses, we are believing for a greater Messiah, a greater deliverer. And, and while the wait is over, gentlemen, is what, the, is what the angel says, the Messiah, the Lord of all the earth, has been born this very day. And in the city of David, not from far from where you are right now, the, the page of history has been turned. The chapter is new. The day is brand new. The light of the world has come. Satan is on notice. His days are numbered. His power is about to be broken. His reign of terror is done. Today the answer was born according to the promise and the prophecy of old. From the, from the smallest to the greatest detail. Today in the city of David, your Messiah has come. I'm a messenger of good news. My message oozes with joy this morning. If you can't see it right now, hold on because we're about to have a breakthrough. The Old Testament predicted a, a Messiah, a good news, a, a full of joy Messiah for, for centuries. The heaven went quiet for between the Old Testament and the New Testament for about 400 years of silence. But unexpectedly, 
A messenger arrives, sent by God to some shepherds in a dark field with this world. This wait is done. This time of waiting is over. The good news is here. The joy is about to flow. Jesus is the light in the darkness. I, I'm telling you, God, good news is not just on the way. Good news is here. His name is Jesus. And he is the light of the world. And he's bringing good news to your world, to your circumstance, to your situation, to where you live right now. Right now. Verse 12. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. In, in that one little line, there's no thing that says, now get up and go. It, go is never mentioned. There's, there's no invitation delivered. There's no address given. There's no time or details of how and when you should arrive. But the message is so compelling. The, the promise is so rich, so inviting, that no one can resist. And these guys, before the angels even disappear, are, are anxious to get to see this. I must see. I, I have to experience all that they're speaking of. How, how do I get there? How, how will I know that I've arrived at the right place? How will I get into the palace or the holy place where, where this newborn hope and light of the world are now at? Well, you see, men, there, there's nothing about this king, about his reign, about him that the world expects. He, he's different. He, he, he's not found in, in a royal place or a sacred space. You will find him tightly wrapped in almost like bandage kinds of cloth that are meant to restrain his movements and quiet him for sleep. But, but listen to this. Not in any place that the general public would Expect to find him. You will know where to go by the word of direction that I'm about to give you. Shepherds, he's lying in a manger. Now, if you had have said that to a Levitical priest, if you had have said that to a Sadducee student of the law of Moses, they wouldn't have a clue where to find a manger in a town called Bethlehem. However, when you say a manger to a, to a shepherd, he knows where to go. He knows where the mangers are, where the feeding troughs are. And I have the joy of declaring to you this morning that Jesus will be found by you in the place that others would, would be least likely to think to look. He meets you right where you are. You don't have to go to some posh place. You don't have to get gussied up to go to some amazing feast. He goes to where you are. Shepherds would have been out of place in the sterile environment of a... Who's going with the muck and guck on their boots? Who's going to let them into a sterile hospital? And they, they would have been unwelcomed in a sacred space, as I've already told you. They, they, they wouldn't have gained entrance into a royal palace. What are you doing here? Get away from the door. 
But tell them to go to a familiar place. Tell them to go to a stable and look for a baby in a feeding trough. And they knew where to go and they were fully aware that they would be welcomed and that they would be comfortable. Jesus came to remove every obstacle from you getting to God. Remove every impediment from you experience life as it was meant to be lived. The first announcement of the birth doesn't go to the most likely to be in the know, but it goes to the least likely, the least invited, the last to be included. It goes to shepherds. And that message hasn't changed today. You may feel unworthy, you may feel unwelcome, you may feel disqualified, but that is not true. You are the first person that God reaches out to today. He will meet you where you are as you are. Verse 13, and suddenly there was, the angel was joined with a vast host of others, the armies of heaven praising God and saying, just when you think the experience couldn't get any better, it gets richer, it gets more powerful. Now instead of a messenger standing there, there's a vast host of other messengers. I like how the NLT translates differently than the KJV. The, the, the KGV says, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, while the New Living Translation says that the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies, the warriors of heaven come to enforce the law of the king of light being born in the world. I, I, I go again with good news to everyone in this room this morning, everyone who's listening to me online. You, you may feel alone. You, you may be told that you are alone. You may be sitting alone. You may feel isolated. You may not have heard from anyone. You, you, you may be distant from, even though you're surrounded, you may feel distant from everybody, but God has released the armies of heaven and they are fighting for you. They are fighting for you. Psalm 91, it wasn't a unique experience for David. It's the norm of the kingdom, and it's what's happening here in this room this morning. If you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the Most High your shelter, no evil will conquer you. No evil will conquer you. And no plague will come near your home, for he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you up in their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. So the army of messengers and heaven's warriors show up and they start to sound it out from the very depths of their being. A sound that's unmatched, that's completely incredible and indescribable. It doesn't say that they sang, I know that. But it doesn't say that they didn't sing. They just started this beautiful, powerful statement and expression. Praise God and, and say this message. Glory to God in the highest, verse 14. And peace on earth 
with whom God is pleased. Let the, let the praise that belongs to God be lifted from the earth for who he is and for all that he is and for all that he's done and yet to do. And let, the, let the, fill the earth and let it rise to the highest heaven. And as it does, let those who declare this glory, let those who have discovered and lived under the favor of God experience the peace of God, the joy of God. Peace that breaks fear. Peace that comforts broken hearts. Peace that assures safety to those that are of troubled mind. Peace that puts anxiety to rest. Peace that says to every system and every cell of your body, you can relax because God is in control. God is in charge. I get to declare that as a messenger here this morning in this house. Peace to you. Peace to your home. Peace to your life. Peace to your mind. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe and trust in God. Believe and trust also in his son, Jesus. He is the light of the world. He has come to your fear, to your isolation, to your bondage. He is the light that is coming to your situation. The last group you would expect to find at the side of the king of heaven is the group of shepherds. But they're the first to arrive. When the angels had returned, verse 15, to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see, let's experience this thing that has happened, which the Lord himself has told us. So, so amazed, so, so intrigued, so warm, so inspired by the message that they have just heard that they have to get up and they have to go. No matter what the law says about staying in the wilderness with these sheep that are going to, to sacrifice, let's, let's go to Bethlehem. We're not supposed to, but let's go anyway. My kind of people. Tell me I can't and I want to. My kind of people. I want to see. I need to experience. I need to look into the face of, of good news. I need to feel what joy feels like. I, I, I have to experience firsthand this peace that is promised when you're under the favor of God. Again, God wants us to make sure that we understand the telling of the story that, that it isn't for the pious. It isn't for those who are all put together. That wasn't the reason Jesus came. He came for those of us who were falling apart, those who were a hot mess, those who were alone in prison, bound up in all sorts of chains, those who have a history that reads more like Ripley's Believe It or Not. He came to look after me. The most unlikely of all, Born as an unwanted, unexpected, unconnected kid, most likely born out of a sexual assault. And he pulled me out of a closet in the southwest corner of the province of Alberta and allows me the privilege of standing here today as a messenger to announce Jesus is the light of the world. Can it get better than that? He did it for me. He can do it for you. He's come to your darkness. Like me, he shows up for you. 
He brings good news, not condemnation. He brings joy. He baptizes you in peace. You have to pick up the Bible. You have to get up and start the search. You have to find this Jesus that has come for you. I'm, I'm so overwhelmed this Christmas by all that's going on around me. Personally, in our church, in our city, in our nation, I, I am in awe every day. It feels like I'm on the verge of tears at any moment all day long. And, and it's not sadness generally. It's, it's this pure amazement at what God is up to. Just so thankful for his goodness, his mercy, his faithfulness of how he's directed the steps of me and my family over these last many weeks, months, and years. I find my, myself in, in some places these days, in, in some situations that I never would have chose on my own right now. But I'm not afraid. I've been given a word from God that I'm not to complain. When Israel was in the desert, we were just talking about this on on Tuesday night at prayer. When Israel was in the desert for 40 years, although they were free from Egypt, the more they complained, the tighter their chains got. Don't complain. So instead, I have been looking around and I have realized that Jesus is not only the light of my world, but he's asked me to carry the work on of the family business into my world. Jesus speaks to you and me now. I am the light of the world, he says, but now you and you and you and you and me, we're the light of the world. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. You and I as believers are called to carry the light of the world. Jesus into the darkness of the world that we live in. My maternal grandparents used to live in a very tiny little village on the mid-east part of the province of Alberta. And to drive there just seemed to be an endless trip. And we'd start while the day was starting. And when we got there as a little kid, it just seemed like we'd been in the car for two or three days. It's probably five hours, four hours, something like that. And it was so long. And, you know, my dad's driving and he's trying to correct us over the back seat and, and, and all of those things, the wildness, the weirdness, but the hope. When we got into the valley and we looked up and there were just those few little street lights in the town of Alliance, Alberta, we're almost there. That light of the town in darkness, the darkness of a night reminded me and and represented so much hope to a little guy like me years ago. And Jesus says to me and says to you, you are sent out to be like that light in the night, in the darkness of the world. I'm haunted and inspired by these words. Every dark corner of the world at this moment is just a place where Jesus has not yet arrived via one of his messengers with the good news. We're not a people who are to stand and curse the darkness. We are instead an expression of the light that are commissioned to go into the dark corners of our world with a transformational news report that overflows in joy, brings peace to people who have never experienced either. Verse 15. 
No one lights a lamp. Will you come, please, uh, Moira? No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. This morning, I'm announcing. I'm renouncing the tendency that we've had as 21st century believers to sit inside four walls of a community and hold on tightly to our faith in the hope that he comes and rescues us before we're consumed by the darkness. He is the light of the world. You are now commissioned to be light in the world. Don't live in the protective shade of safe spiritual confines. Get up on a stand. Go into the darkness where you can be seen and where you can make a difference. Maybe you might not have a citywide or a national difference, but, but find one person who is stuck in darkness and let everyone in that person's house enjoy the light that comes off your love life, that the light that comes out of your love, your, your generosity. Well, how do I live that light in a dark world? Jesus continues to speak to me and speak to you this morning. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Find a need and meet it. No matter what it costs, no matter where you have to go, no matter how much you have to sacrifice, do good. Add value. Love deeply. Help where there is no thank you. Love where there is no promised return. Speak life. Show love. Shine light, ooze joy, release peace. Will you stand? Will you stand, please? I've preached my heart out because I believe this with all my life. Jesus is the light of the world. And he's about to make a breakthrough in your life, in your home. Nobody accepts no exceptions. Jesus is the light of the world and light that brings good news, light that brings joy, light that brings peace. I want you to join me in praying today. I've gone through some of these people, some of the things that are needing to be prayed for. I want you to raise your hands and declare light over Evelyn today. Evelyn Garcia, God, bring amazing, releasing, healing light to her life. We declare peace over the Mabona family as they race to be with Grandma in Ghana. We, we shout onto the Lord with a voice of triumph over Paola Duran. Healer, fill the house of our people with the light that seems to be filled with, with illness and reoccurring flus and colds. Let health come right now. Let health come. Where there's, where there's absolute weariness, bone deep weariness, bring resurrection life this morning, oh God. 
We speak life and strength over Thomas John. Jesus, go into the darkness of every lost son, every lost daughter, and bring them home. Bring them home. Bring them home. Go into the the darkness of every addicted person and break chains. Tear open prison doors. Set captives free. Restore those that have been broken where there's fear of finance. I'm asking for release this week. Release and look after every detail. Restore sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf. Joy of the world, he is the light of the world. Father, we pray it in Jesus' name. Start praying over one of those or or your own situation. God, be the, the light in my world. Be the light in my circumstance. It may be dark. It may have been pronounced impossible or desperate. But God, you're coming through. You are the light that speaks to darkness and darkness has to flee. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Well, every head is bowed and every eye is closed. I have felt all morning that there are some folks here today that don't know Jesus or have allowed some distance to come in between them and you feel lost, you feel, you feel wrecked, you feel undone, you feel like a hot mess. But you just were understanding this morning that if God can come and visit a shepherd, he can come and visit you. You're no different, you're no, you're no worse, you're no better. We're just, we're just people who need God you're here this morning if that's you would you just raise your hand so that I can pray with you nobody else is looking around it's just me it's just me yes thank you thank you yes thank you anybody else yeah thank you thank you so father right now in the name of Jesus we receive the gift of your son the one who said every person in this room every person online is so important that I will spare no expense I will stop at nothing to get to them with my love and my compassion and my mercy to to bring them in to love them and to release them to the life that they were designed and designated to have father i'm speaking to chains right now you have no right no no right to be where you are. You're broken now in the name of Jesus. Light is coming into darkness. I'm praying that as this week progresses day by day that they will wake up and with an understanding, a great understanding that you're so close, so real that their life is being transformed in these two weeks leading up to Christmas. That they'll have a new reason to celebrate because they have come face to face with the light of the world. Bless them. And I pray for every person in this house. I pray for every home that's represented both here currently and online. I pray right now that God, you would come as a light to the impossible, difficult circumstances of every person here. That there would be a new hope brand new expectation, a brand new realization that the light of the world has come to their world, to their situation, to their life, to their circumstance. Release life, 
hope, peace, joy. Let them dance because of good news, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen. I prayed for you because you're coming.